Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church family. How are you? I thought August was over. Eventually. Well, we have been talking about a new series about are we there yet? And about the time you're used to it, we're going to be out of it. Because here's what you need to know about the journey that God takes you on. Just about the time you think you've got it all figured out, God has something fresh for you. And so we're very grateful. We've talked about uh, packing light, that we need to be firm in our faith, that we don't cling to leadership that we have. Instead, we cling to the God who provides the leadership. We also talked about car trouble last week, about embracing challenge and change. This week, I want to talk to you about building memories along the way or markers along the way, because the way that God has wired us, there are events, there are moments that change us. They mark us. They give us a stopping point where we realize something significant has taken place. I think about all the times we traveled as a child and how grateful I am that my father was not one that stopped historical markers. <laughs> there are people that do stop at historical markers. You know in the state of Texas that if you said today, I'm going to go to one historical marker a day for the rest of my life, it would take you over 43 years to go to everyone. There's more than 16,000 historical markers in Texas. I'm just not sure we're that interested. But we have them for everything. But you know what? You think that's a little unusual? I will tell you that everyone that's in this room, almost every one of you right now, are carrying with you historical markers. They're on your phone. They're called pictures. Some of you have pictures of some interesting things. Some is medical conditions. Don't share that with your friends. There could be pictures of your children, your grandchildren, pictures of some place that you have been, celebrations, moments, markers that define who we are because it's a record of what God has done in our life or the events that are part of our life. So as we look at this today, I want you to think with me about the children of Israel as they're coming into the promised land and the markers and the way that God built memorials for them so that they could remember, so that they could connect, and so that they would understand the God who brought them to this point was going to take them to the next point, and he was faithful to take them to where they're going. And he is the same God who will be faithful to you. And I will suggest to you very strongly that if you will look back at the markers in your own life, you can get a sense about the direction God is taking you next. So let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts today. Father, in Jesus' name, we are here asking you to give us clarity, to give us understanding, to give us wisdom, to give us sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. Pray, God, your blessing now upon this text and time, for we pray Jesus in your holy name. Amen. Markers along the way. 
Joshua chapter 4. You'll remember we left them on the banks of the wilderness looking out over the sea as they were about to cross over into the promised land. And Joshua chapter 4, 1, when, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe of man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. There are moments in your life that shape you. There are moments that when you go through them, they, they have an impression upon you that shapes your life in a fresh way. For Joshua, as they were going across the Jordan, going into the promised land, a land that none of them had ever seen before, except for Joshua and Caleb, it was going to be a brand new experience for everybody in that camp. And so as they were coming forward, he said, I want you to take these 12 stones, big stones, from the place from where the priest's feet stood. It's interesting to me always how God wants us to take the times that we go through of challenge and change and wants us to remember it. Because in it, we see the reminder of God's presence with us in it. It reminded them of that sacred moment. It reminds them of his provision. And what's interesting, too, is he said, I want somebody from every single tribe, not just get me 12 stones to represent the tribes, but the idea was every tribe would have a representative. Every tribe would have their leader. Every tribe is to bring a stone over so that when they see the stones, they'll know one of my descendants or one of my uh, the folks that I came from, they brought that stone over here. He said, put it down where you're going to lodge, the place of rest and of faith, because you're going to go through this and stop, and in this resting stop at Gilgal, we're going to put up this monument. Now, Gilgal literally means to roll back or to uh, cut back or to circle back, and that'll become much more evident in just a moment. But it says in verse 5, Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Now, look at verse 5 where it says, on your shoulder, I want you to get a stone and not too small. Now, here's what I know about men. As soon as you tell 12 guys, go get a big stone, Better pause and explain something. I waited too long for an allergy shot. It created a chain reaction, so I'm struggling a little bit. But I feel great, okay? But if I don't stop it over here, your ears will be in trouble. And so I'm not going to do that to you. But here's what happens. You put 12 men into an opportunity for them to show who can get the biggest stone. <laughs> now, the first guy probably got the stone he thought made sense put it up on his shoulder, then the second guy said, I can beat that. Then you get a guy like Daniel in our group that stands back and says, I'm just going to wait for you little girls to finish, then we'll take care of this. <laughs> and then the first guy's going, can I do a do-over? Because I don't think I got a big enough rock. But the point is, is that they were burdened. It was a, a weight. It was not too small. 
It says in verse 6, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them, the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Here's what you need to know. The impact of our obedience extends beyond our lifetime. Your prayers extend beyond your lifetime. What God has put in your heart to ask him for doesn't end with your death. It continues beyond you. And I will tell you that there are families that you may not get to see the day where that child comes back to Jesus. But your prayers are precious before the Lord. And they're not forgotten. And he says, this isn't just about you. This is a memorial, not just for y'all to look at it and say, oh, didn't we do good today? It's instead a memorial, an opportunity for your children's lives and their children's lives to be impacted year after year. It was a testimony because there'd be a day where a child will ask, what mean these stones? And listen, isn't it true in your life that there are times where your children looked at you and asked you the question, why do you do that? Sometimes the question is, why do you still do that? Why do you still have a yellow pages? You thought about that? Because it gives us a chance to stop and to say, well, let me tell you about these stones. Let me tell you about what God did. Let me tell you that I was there and I saw that wall of water. Let me tell you how good God is. And what he did for me, he can do for you. It is a testimony. It teaches the generations and it teaches the world. It says in verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand So that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. It was to remind them that in the midst of all that is happening, what they were doing was not just for them, it was for the world to see. That God brought, out them, brought them out as a nation out of Egypt. He was going to do something special and it was going to be a wonder to the world. And I want you to hear when a church loves Jesus well, follows him intentionally, serves this community consistently, you will have an influence that extends well beyond your address. And so I'm grateful that this church has a heart to reach out and reach beyond because it makes a tremendous difference. And plus, it teaches the next generation, the generation that follows, that we're not just here for ourselves, that we are here to see this world transformed and impacted with the truth of the gospel. It reminds you of victory in the midst of uncertainty. You see, sometimes we're not careful. We can miss God's gift in the very moment that we're in. Because in every moment we're in, the presence of the Lord is right there. And they could have said, well, you know, it's been a full day. We have walked across the Jordan on dry ground. We have seen the wall of water. We have done this marker and memorial. It's now time to get a good night's sleep. I will tell you, that's when you just want to kind of lay in your bed and say, Lord, look at what you did today. 
look at you, God. And just to be awed by the presence of God and all that he is doing in your life and in the lives of the people around you. We all have moments in our lives that shape us, every one of us. We all have those moments we can go back to, point at, say, look, that, look at where God was in that. I've already shared a lot of my story with you, so I'm not going to share a whole lot more, but I'm going to give you a couple of quick rundowns. I, I stopped at the age of six very quickly and come to the place where I came to Christ because of the overwhelming sense of his love for me. And I can remember that moment. I remember waking up and getting out of bed. I remember talking to my parents. I remember kneeling with my mother and father and receiving him and knowing him as my Lord and Savior. I think about being 15 years old in October and God confirming his call of ministry because he called me when I was six. But I just, you know, your parents kind of look at you when you're sick and you say, I'm going to be, you know, a preacher. And they're like, yeah, well, we'll see. Right now, could you clean your room? Uh, and so you kind of go through that. But at 15, God confirmed that very strongly in my life, came to that place in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. No man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I was like, boom, no more. I'm not going to be this, this, or this. I'm supposed to be what God has called me to be. Prayed with my parents again. Move forward. At 20, I met my wife. Trust me, that'll change your life. I remember the first time I've met her, remember everything about her, remember what she looked like, remember the seat she sat in. It was a life-transforming moment for me. At 22, we got married, or I got married with her. Uh, within three months, we were part of a church plant. And let me tell you why that's so important. I grew up largely in big churches. This, was, this church is almost as big as the church I grew up in. My home church, First Baptist Wichita Falls, it was a mega church before we had the name. It had thousands of people. We had seminary presidents that came from that church. Uh, and so when we went to a church that ran like four or 500, I felt like we'd gone to a small church. And so every time we would move, we would move back to Wichita Falls. I'd be in that church. And God used that church in a significant way. So when we got married, we went looking for churches. She had been uh, for the last several years at First Baptist Orlando. So we were both kind of big church people. And there's some of you that are visiting today, and you're saying, you know, I'm not really a big church people. I, I prefer to be in a smaller congregation where I can really know everybody. Let me tell you something. You don't really want to know everybody in any church. <laughs> but you're more likely to meet people you want to know here than almost anywhere else. So I'd camp out here. Uh, so we were visiting. Feel sorry for the next group. Y'all are getting the best of me. That'll teach them going to later service. So anyway, we're visiting all these big churches because that's who we are. You know, we're big church people. And we enjoy big churches. We enjoy the crowd. We enjoy all the people and all that comes with that. And so we're going, and I'm taking my tithe check wherever I go, and I'm putting my tithe check in that plate. I'm putting it in visitor cards, and nobody would visit us. Nobody. Finally, I remember being at one church. Matter of fact, the former pastor of the church, he was not the pastor when this happened. It was before that. He's coming to preach for us in December. Great guy, Gary Smith of uh, Fielder Road Baptist Church. We're at Fielder, and I take my tithe check. And listen, at that time, I was, you know, working a real job. 
I mean, I made good money. My wife made good money. I took that tie check. I took the visitor card. I folded my check inside the card, put it in an envelope, and wrote on it, please come see me. I couldn't even bribe a visit out of a church. <laughs> and I can't figure out what's going on. They're Baptists. They count money. This matters. The next Sunday, we went to First Baptist Arlington. We're sitting there. We're enjoying the feel of everything. And we're looking down in the worship guide, and it says that they're starting a brand-new church that evening at the Holiday Inn on Brown Boulevard. And my wife and I had prayed about being part of a church we could take our neighbors to. And as I saw that, that was literally walking distance from my apartment across the parking lot to that hotel. And I said, Paulie, I think maybe we ought to go visit this, uh, this new plant. Well, we both ended up with food poisoning that night, so that, it was just, uh. But I'll never forget the pastor called from Arlington, Charles Wade, former executive director of the Baptist General Convention of Texas. He welcomed us to the church. I thought, finally, somebody called. And then I told him, I said, well, Brother Wade, I, I appreciate so much this call, but I really sense the Lord is wanting us to go check out that mission. It always struck me, his heart immediately was, you need to do that. We want quality people to get there because we got to reach that community. And I'm just telling you, don't come back to us. You go see them. And I was so impressed with that heart and that attitude. And, and we couldn't go that night because of being ill, but we prayed all week about it. So Sunday, before we went to that church that night, we were praying together. I looked at Pauline, I said, honey, uh, I think the Lord's told me that we're supposed to join this church. And she looked at me and goes, that's what the Lord's told me. And we hadn't even visited it yet. That's why I'm telling you, when people say, how do I join a church when there's an interim pastor? It's easy. Ask Jesus. You join God's people. You don't join God's pastor. So we got there, and they're going around the room, about 40 of us in there, really impressive folk. And they, they said, well, tell us something about yourself. And we, we're coming around to get to us. I said, well, the Lord told us we're supposed to join this church, and, and that doesn't sound as strange to you. It ought to. And they were like, no, no, that's great. And so God did so much in our lives through that. I would not have thought about being church playing, but I learned church playing from Bill Tinsley for over a year. Phenomenal man. From that, two other churches were started directly and others indirectly, all because somebody finally called. It was in the bulletin. So appreciative. Age 29, we had our son Preston. That'll change you. That'll change you. When Preston was born, when Preston was born, we finally got to the room, and I remember being at Baylor Hospital, eighth floor, came out. I'm standing by the window, and I'm holding him. And I said, Preston, I've got two things to tell you, and I want you to really pay attention. <laughs> Start early. The first, well, I'll tell you the first thing next. The second thing I told him was this. I explained in detail, medically correct terms, the birds and the bees. This is how babies come. This is how this works. I explained it in full detail. Because I thought the next time, if he ever asked me where babies come from, I'm going to say, I told you this already. <laughs> and if you're not going to pay attention to the important stuff. 
But the very first thing I told them is I told them the, the gospel. I told them who Jesus is and what he did for them. Because I thought, you know, if you tarry on this earth and you come to the place where it's time for you to say yes to Jesus, I want to get to be the first human voice that ever pierces your ears with the truth of the gospel. Markers, they change us. Things happen that transform us. There are moments that we're in that sometimes we think they're just for us, but they're not. They're for beyond that. Uh, it says in verse 14, on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses at all the days of his life. You see, when you go through moments like these and you go through them well, then God very often will take them and will point people toward you to see what he's doing in your life because he always is looking for a way to show the world that is what it means to follow me. That is what it means to know me. That is what you're to live like. God wants you to use your life in that way. And when you go through hard points, God uses those. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see, when you live right with God and you live well before others, God will use that to draw people to him. Never forget, the enemy just as quickly is looking for ways to point people to people that are disobedient. Looking for ways to point people to people that aren't living up to the high calling of Christ. And we all mess up, don't we? Don't we all mess up? But I can't tell you how many times I have tipped for bad service thinking, what if one day they're in a service I'm at and I'm preaching and a cheap tip kept them from hearing the rich gospel. We're not our own. We live for him. Second, there's marks on our lives which define us, that define us. Joshua 5, it says, the king of the Amorites heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, and their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, talking about out of Egypt, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So it was their children whom raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. And I will tell you, that was not an exciting announcement. But it was a critical step of recognizing that we don't belong to what has been. We belong to the God who has led us and has been faithful to us. 
All the men of war died in the wilderness. The children raised up in the promised land and not been sacrificed. There is a time and a place where you have to move from this was my father's faith, this was my mother's faith, this was my friend's faith, to this is my faith. What they had, I value. What they gave me in heritage, I'm grateful for. The legacy they have provided me is something that I will be mindful of. But I cannot ever stand before the Lord and him say, why should I let you into my heaven? And me say, mom was a good Christian. I have to be able to say, because I know Jesus. And he promised me. You can't live on somebody else's faith. You can be encouraged by it, but you can't live in it. And there are times when we go through such hard times, hard times, hard times, that we have to have faithful people come and put their arms around us, lift us up, and carry us forward. And that is a precious thing to happen. But you need to know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, that when that happens for you, that we are comforted so that what? We in turn can comfort those who need to be comforted. I may be carried for a bit, but it's so that I can then be ready to lift you up. It's got to be your faith. It's a personal choice that led to a corporate obedience. And that corporate obedience led to a corporate identity and faithfulness as a people. It's going to be very clear where we're going to trust God, be obedient to God, and be who God called us to be. You know, God continues to mark our relationships today. He continues to define us by the choices that we make. The outward mark of circumcision was to be an expression of an inward reality, of a circumcised heart. That's what circumcision was always about. It wasn't about just a physical symbol. It was about an inward reality that was to be reflected in the hearts of the people. Deuteronomy 36 says, that, excuse me, 30 verse 6 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Paul records in Colossians 2, 11, 15, this. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through power in the, or excuse me, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead... And you who were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them into open shame by triumphing over them in him. The gospel is a record, a record of of the acknowledgement that there is a debt and it is sin and all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God dealt with that debt by setting it aside, the Bible says, and nailing it to the cross. Don't miss what it just said. Setting it aside meant setting him aside to be our sacrifice. 
and he nailed Jesus to the cross. Never, ever mistake who chose the cross for Jesus. Pilate said, don't you know what I am? Don't you know what I can do? And Jesus looked at him and said, there is no power you have that is not being granted to you from above. I'm not ruled by you. I am ruled by the sovereign God. And I have said yes to the cup, and I'm going to drink it. The gospel, buried with him in death, demonstrated by baptism, raising him in life, showing our faith. And baptism is still a mark of the community of faith. It's still, and see, that's why baptism is important in the church. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism reveals you. What baptism does is it reveals your heart to God. It says, I belong to him, and this is my physical way of demonstrating that I belong to him. That's why when you get married, you get it with a witness. Because it's done inside a community, even if it's just two witnesses, someone has to say, this is real, I've seen it. You don't just read some words and say, well, that's done. Baptism still is an important mark of our faith of, to obey God's direction, but also a point of communion that we connect with God's people. That's why when we talk about how do you become part of this church family, we always start with this. Do you know Jesus? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you asked forgiveness of your sin? Have you received him into your heart? And the answer to that is yes. Then we now acknowledge that you are a believer in Christ. But to become part of the church... We ask for baptism because it is a biblical direction that God gives for new believers is to be baptized in their faith. And it is a demonstration to the body of faith. I'm one of you. I'm part of this. I'm part of what God is doing here. And do you have to be baptized by immersion? And I would largely say if that is at all possible, yes. That's the biblical mode. But sometimes what we do is we mix up memory with obedience. And we think, well, you know, I got christened as a child. And surely, you know, that counts. Or my parents baptized me into their faith tradition. Surely that ought to count. And here's what I want you to hear. We value, we are grateful for any parent that helps you take a step toward God. We are grateful that they made that covenant commitment with you and with the church and said, we want to raise them before the community of faith in a faith community. I am thrilled that they did that for you. But there is not one place in Scripture where you get baptized until after you say yes to Jesus. And just like you can't take your mother's faith to become a Christian, you have to make the choice yourself. Somebody else can't make the choice for you to be baptized. It's got to be your choice. It's a step of obedience. And we take it seriously because here's what we know. If you obey in the things that are clear, you're much more likely to hear the things that aren't. So if you've not been baptized yet, could, could we just say, I'd be happy to talk to you about any question you might have about it. But I'm not going to tell you at any point that something your parents did was wrong. What I am going to say is let's look at the Bible. Let's just see what the Bible says and what you believe 
because of that. It is still the mark today that expresses the inward commitment of your life. Three, there are thresholds we cross which change us. There's thresholds we cross over that change us. We all know that instinctively. There's a threshold you cross from being a child to an adult. For some of you, it's a clear marker. I'll never forget one friend who told me, he said, Roger, when I graduated high school, the night of the party at my house, at the end of the night, my dad called me, had me go outside, walk to the end of the driveway with me. He was carrying a kitchen plate. He broke it over his knee and said, son, you are now responsible for you. You're welcome to come back and borrow one of my plates to eat off of it. I'll let you sleep in your bed as you're trying to go to the military, college, or wherever else you're going to go. But I want to be clear, you are now borrowing this. You don't own this. Now, that's pretty defined, isn't it? Some of you are saying, is it too late to do it if he's 35? <laughs> I, you know, just work that through. But sometimes it's a little fuzzy. It's a very clear distinction when you go from single to married. Life changed. Dramatically changes. Gratefully changes. From being a couple without children to a couple with children. There's a threshold. Man, once you cross it, it's crossed, right? I'll never forget. We had brought our son home. And, you know, because the hospital makes you. Anyway, we had brought our son home. And... We were maybe three months in, and you know how you're just barely sleeping, and you're trying to function, and something was working out, and we got ready, and we said, let's just go, let's go eat dinner. And we're at the front door when I stop and go, we got a kid. <laughs> you know, he was sleeping so peacefully. We just, for, for about that long, it was just like, oh, we can just, it's like, no, no, no. Now it's get the car seat and get, and all of a sudden it's like, do you want to go through a drive-thru? Because it's like, it's not worth it. It changes you. Thresholds you cross when you lose the intimacy of a loss of a child or a parent. You know, I remember the first person I loved that, that, uh, that died. I was six years old, and he was one of my friends named Guy. He was six. And we were in Cub Scouts together, and, and I, I'll never forget, you know, that moment of recognition of what that meant. And there's been other people since then, and I have, I have been in many hospital rooms, and I've done many funerals for families. But you know, the one thing that struck me is I didn't really fully understand loss. Until, excuse me, until I lost my father. And it changed the way I walked into a room. And there's an intimacy between people who have had that kind of loss. They see it differently. They know that they want you to still say their name. They still want to hear their wife's name. They still want to hear their husband's name. They still want to hear their child's name. And God wants you to understand that there are thresholds that you cross, but you don't cross them alone. He's on that side of the threshold. He's on the threshold. He's on the other side of the threshold. And he'll walk you right through it. But he won't waste your sorrows. But he doesn't want you to waste them either. Learn from them. Grow from them. Be encouraged by them. 
It says in Joshua 5.10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, 11 cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased that day after they ate the produce of the land. There was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. First Passover in the promised land. First time they stopped and they acknowledged, God, this is what you did 40 years ago for our forefathers in Egypt. And you carried us out. We came here eating unleavened cakes and parched grain. We came here eating manna. And now you're going to give us the produce of the land. The manna ceased. Now listen. Up until this point, they had a guaranteed food source. Just had to go out every morning and get it. But God has something better for them now than manna. And it's a call to move from where you are to a deeper, more mature understanding of who God is and what God is wanting to do. It's a call to maturity. It's a time to gather and to grow. Because you see, if we're not careful, what happens is we get used to just getting the easy when God calls us to the more hard, the more of a struggle, the more of a growth point. It says in Hebrews 5.12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I cannot tell you how critical it is to be in God's word every single day. You want to know his voice, you better read his voice. You want to be able to clearly discern God's word, you need to be in his word. You will, you will be surprised. Now, anybody that's faithful in his word, I'll be surprised by what I'm about to say. But I can promise you, if you are diligent in his word, and you read it from cover to cover, and you begin to understand the flow of a scripture and what is happening, there are things that show up in Luke, you're going, wait a minute, that was in Ezekiel. Or you're going to read something that happens in Romans, you're going, whoa, first time I read that, that was Leviticus. You will see how Bible is, is all woven together. And when you realize the age of all these books and how God has brought them together for one consistent thought, one consistent reality, you're going to be amazed by the wonder of what you'll find here. But it's by practice. It's through consistency. And if you're here and you're saying, you know, I used to be in the Bible a lot. I'm not in the Bible so much now. Can I just ask you, can I just welcome you back? God's right where you left him. He's ready to meet you right here in his word. It was time for them to move from milk to meat. I will tell you, more churches get in trouble because the membership still has their baby teeth. Instead of incisors, they can chew and tear. We need maturity. Because here's the thing you got to know. God wants to bring new Christians to a church. And to do that, there has to be mature Christians ready to receive them. And so your growth actually stimulates more opportunity for more people to know Jesus. One final thing. There's a voice that we hear which angers us. In Joshua 5.13, 
It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went out to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Now think about this. They had just had this great victory. They had crossed the Jordan. I mean, things are happening. They just had Passover. The people are coming together. He's kind of on a high plane. He sees, he sees this amazing figure out here that's got a drawn sword, and he's coming out, and it's like, okay, are you for us? Are you from those other folk? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now, I, I have come, and Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshiped him, and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Where else did you hear that phrase? Back in Exodus, Moses coming up to the burning bush. And God says, take off your sandals. The ground that you're standing on is holy. It's happening again. This is called a theophonic expression. We talked about that a few months ago when we talked about the series on This I Know and about the Trinity. This is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ coming and speaking to Joshua, I believe. I know this, he had to be God because it says he fell down and he worshiped. And every angel I've ever read said, get up, I am just an angel. And he is worshiping. You see, when I'm struck by is this, you don't want to get lost in your situation. You see, God calls us to rise above and see. Sometimes what happens is, is that we start making it, is it for them or is it for me? Is this for my benefit or blessing? Is this for their benefit or blessing? And you know what the Lord is saying? The Lord is saying, hey, it's all for me. When I do this for you, it's to glorify me. When I let you walk through trouble, it's to glorify me. When I trust you in hardship, it's to bring glory to me. Because the chief end of man is simple, is to bring glory to God. That's what we're here for. I, you know, sometimes I read book titles and I read stuff like Your Best Life Now or any stuff like that. And I just want to just kind of curls my toes. Because I get, let me tell you something. I want a good life. I mean, does there anybody here say, no, no, I want a bad life? Please, give me the line for the bad life line. That's where I want to go. I, I want a good life. But you know what I want most? I want a life that at the end of it, that, that God can actually say without wincing, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into your rest. I want a life where God says, when you have the choice, you chose to glorify me. Then when there was a hard path and an easy path, you just asked me, what's the path you want me to take, Lord? I'm following. Because the longer I go, the more I realize this life is just a vapor. But God's glory lasts forever. So where are you today? What moments, what markers, what thresholds, what voice? Are you needing to hear? You know, I wrote down a couple little notes. I thought, if you will look at where the moments and markers are pointing you in your life, if you just kind of go back and look at them and say, okay, there's a marker, there's a marker, there's a marker, there's a moment, there's a moment. The question is, where are they pointing you at right now?
For some of you, it's pointing you to your next choice. It could be that today was a reminder of, hey, I, I know Jesus, but I've never been faithful in baptism. I need to talk with someone about working through my questions. And for some of you, it's very, very simple. Your markers are pointing you to Jesus. And, and you have not said yes to Jesus yet. And God's drawn you to this place so that you can come to know his son. There could be a decision that God has put in your life that you might say, well, but I'm, I'm 40. Why would God call me into ministry? And I will tell you, the average age of a seminary student is well up to 40 now. God may be calling you to go overseas. God may be calling you maybe to go next door. But where are those markers pointing you? What decision, what direction? Some of you might say, well, if I look at those markers in my life and I look at my direction, what I think I'm doing is I'm walking as fast as I can away from God. And if you recognize that today, you can stop walking. Just turn back. That's what the word repent means. It means to turn, change direction. So wherever God is drawing you, wherever he is speaking to you, what he is placing in your heart in the next few moments, when we have this time of, of ministry, for some of you, that invitation is a simple one that you need to make a decision. You know that, and, and we want to be available to you. For some of you, you're looking for discernment. You're just saying, hey, I, I'm trying to figure out what all this means, and this is where I've been, and where, where is God leading me? But whatever the needs are, you just need to know you're in the right place for somebody to be ready to pray with you, to encourage you, and be available to you. And listen, one of the things I've always learned is this. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I know how to identify them. And so when I listen to somebody, my first question is, who do I need to get you to? So just know that this is family time. That's what this is about. This is family time. So I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. Our deacon uh, families are going to be available for prayer as well. They'll be at the front in the, in the uh, balcony. But let's pray and ask God's blessing. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you thanking you for those moments and markers in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for those thresholds you've let us cross. And we thank you, God, for the voice that we can count on in knowing you. Father, there are some that are here today, and they're not hearing the voice as clearly as they once did, or maybe not at all. And God, they are wanting to hear from you today. So Father, I pray that you would speak into their heart. But in all things, we pray that you'd be glorified. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.